Today on CityCast Salt Lake, the council voted on a lot this week, and the Jazz won their season opener. Who saw that coming? Lead producer Emily Means joins me to help make sense of it all. It's Friday, October 21st, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Emily Means. Ali Vallarta. Happy Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday to you. So much news. <laughs> well, ain't that the truth? And we're just going to talk about basically city news today. Here's how I feel about the city news this week. I feel like old Greg rising up old from the swampy Greg? mud. <laughs> I'm old Greg. And like the swamp is like the city council voting on things. And then I'm just like, I'm like rising up out of it and being like, what? <laughs> That's me. Never in all my years did I think we'd get an old Greg reference in this here uh, news-ish podcast. Wow. All right. We're going to have to put that in the show notes for all you uh, Gen Zers who've never seen yeah. old Greg before. I mean, old Greg had basically his hand around the throats of our generation for like two years worth of people making making jokes. All right. Anyway, we're, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves or behind of ourselves. What did the city council do this week, Allie? Uh, what didn't they do? OK, so this this week, the city council decided to take up different votes, different measures, different housing specific or development specific decisions in one council meeting in a slew of votes. And it's all complicated. It's all nuanced. And it's all also stuff. And this feels kind of like one of the biggest stories about it. It's all stuff that they have been debating since like the last mayoral administration. Like a lot of these proposals have been debated for years, if months, if not years. And they kind of sat down and decided to just push through and vote on all of it at once. And what does that mean for us? That means that we as residents now have to figure out what the hell just happened. What the hell just happened? It was a big old ball of land use fun. Allie, I think a big theme from these policy decisions that the city council made this week is density. And... It all ties back into our affordable housing crisis, right? So mm -hmm. I think generally, from my very, you know, uh, 30,000 foot opinion, generally what happened was was good. It should hopefully get us on a path towards uh, towards more housing affordability in this city. Things mm -hmm. like uh, minimizing parking requirements. That's something that developers are always saying is really expensive and makes right. for an expensive housing project. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about shared housing. This is formerly known as single room occupancy. We're talking like boarding house style housing. Right. These it's having all, a rebrand. Yeah, it's having a rebrand. It's having a new moment. These are the sorts of things that should hopefully lessen the, the constraints on affordable housing availability that we have here in this city. Mm -hmm. But I don't know about you, Ali. I mean, like, I consider myself a 
pretty engaged resident. I'm also lucky to have this background in reporting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to cover the planning commission at, you know, previous jobs. Land use decisions and policies are so complicated. And the fact that the city council just kind of like slogged through and they were like, all right, we got to start checking these things off our to-do list. It's just a lot. It's a lot to process. One of the things about the city council taking up so much of this at once, in my opinion, is that when we think about housing, when we think about development in the city, it's really important to think about who's in the room for these conversations, who is alerted that these conversations are happening, and who feels informed enough to take a position or entitled enough to take a position, Mm. right? To show, like, it is so intimidating to attend these kinds of meetings. It is so intimidating to be in a, a specific corner of like zoning Twitter, right? It is extremely intimidating to be in this room. And you have to feel a certain level of entitlement in order to do it. And so who gets in those rooms? People that are wealthy, people that have like master's degrees in this stuff, people that live in the more generally entitled parts of town, right? And so this conversation and the lens with which we view a lot of these policies too is often colored by who is talking about them and who who gets to talk about them. Well, here, here. Can I tell you a little bit about my understanding of RMF 30? <laughs> please, please do. Okay, so RMF 30 is a zoning, basically like a type of zoning, right? Residential multifamily 30. So there are parts of the city where they voted to allow RMF 30 north of Liberty Park, like around Fairmont Park, like parts of the west side by Redwood Road and some other spots. And what RMF 30 basically does is it says you can build multifamily or multi-person housing on this single lot that previously was zoned single family housing. Okay. And that type of housing is I've seen it referred to by housing experts as missing middle housing. And I like I actually like that title. So basically, like, say you're walking down the street in the avenues and all of a sudden you see in the middle of a row of single family homes, a duplex or like some old house that has been converted into like six different apartments. That's missing middle housing. That is like densifying existing charming neighborhoods with more living space for more people. The pro basically to missing middle housing and increasing it is, okay. like we need infill. We've we've got to get more people on a single street in this city, especially if we're going to build the kind of thriving city that I think we're all kind of into, like where we all take public transit and and it's super walkable and we can walk to work and we have a downtown where people like get lunch, you know, Um, where I-15 isn't a nightmare full of cars of people commuting in from urban sprawl. Now, the downside is that that allows more development in spaces where there have been single family homes. So if you look at an example like on the west side, okay, so now are we felling a single family home, a small home to build townhomes, to build luxury housing, right? And does that basically undermine the entire idea in the first place? Because if you're displacing people, that's that's still a net loss. 
Right. And we know that once people are displaced in this city, there's nowhere for them to go. We've got a study, a city-based study that shows that. I don't know. I mean, I think what I've heard mostly, though, in opposition to this policy is, like you said, from those people who are already at the table, like these homeowners who Mm -hmm. live in Yalecrest or the avenues who are concerned that this will change the character of their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I guess the takeaway from this uh, this chunk of policy decisions that the city council made is how much public input do we need on these things? And is it always good to have this much public input? Because like you said, this is something the city council has been considering for years and years and years. And while they've been considering it, while it's just been kind of sitting around, you know, on some planner's desk, (laughs) um, (laughs) we we've displaced many, many families, you know, Mm -hmm. lots of people can't afford to live here anymore. So Mm -hmm. how much public comment is good public comment? I don't know. Do we need all of this public comment? Right. I don't know. I didn't think I would ever say that either. I'm very, you know, pro you. You tell your elected officials what you think of these policies that will probably impact you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if it hinders our progress as a city, should there be limits on it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it complicates the actual decision making process for the council because like that RMF 30 plan, they've now put a 180 day pause on it while they basically come up with other ways to mitigate the damage that it could do. And so it's like, okay, that's even more confusing. Right. And then what do we do in 180 days? Do we just wait 180 days and then get mad again? Like and I think, you know, there is this idea that I've seen people talk about, which is should we all be voting on projects or should we be voting on policies? Like, should the time for public input be when we're going to make policy choices, when we're going to make decisions about, um, for example, like how we're going to rezone something or whatever, as opposed to like individual building decisions, individual projects? Here's an example. You hear a lot often when there comes to be something that we all hate, like replacing the sizzler with a gas station and sugar house. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what the experts say is, look, the time to get involved is when we're voting on zoning. It is not when you're mad about an individual project. And so could we rearrange ourselves as a as representative democracy in a way where we're voting on the big stuff? And then when we make a decision on what the zoning is or what something means, then we let the people that we've elected to represent us push forward with the individual projects to the best of their ability. Yeah. Just an idea. Again, it's a thought. It's a thought. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court, and this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. 
Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. Let me mention one specific individual project that the city council also took up this week. Tiny homes. Tiny Mm -hmm. homes are a go. The city council approved a rezone request for the tiny home village that's uh, intended for the west side of Salt Lake around Redwood Road. Um, Mm -hmm. They also approved the terms of a lease to lease this city owned property to the other side academy for this tiny home project. I was really interested in how much this was going to cost, Allie. The Other Side Academy will be paying $1 a year for 40 years to lease this property. Wait, what? (laughs) I know, right? It's fascinating to me that like, the city could just essentially give this property away to build the tiny home village, which in its initial phase will include 85 tiny homes. I've said tiny homes so many times now, Mm -hmm. but that's what the project is. And uh, the majority of them will be intended for people who have been chronically homeless. Mm -hmm. So this is a project that's also been in the works for a long time that the city council has finally checked off their to-do list. And I don't know, Allie, We've talked about this project before on the show, and it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, it's it's nice in theory. It's a good concept. How long is it going to take to build all these tiny homes and Mm -hmm. how many people experiencing homelessness are going to go without housing while this sexy project is being built? Right. Those are my feelings. M- meanwhile, I'm trying to be optimistic, okay? <laughs> right. Meanwhile, it's October 20th. The weather's about to turn, and we don't know if the, sh- if the winter shelter is ready. Exactly. Exactly. Look, we need to house people. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to be here to poo-poo a housing project that is going to house people that are currently unhoused. And at the same time, on the corner of 2nd South, and 3rd East is a giant building that has been sitting empty since basically I moved to Salt Lake City. Why haven't we been housing people there for the past five years? Why are we not housing people in these empty buildings, these former motels around this city 
already. This plan is so sexy. It's almost too sexy for me. I would have liked to see people housed years ago in some of these empty buildings around town. Now we're just going to wait for this to get built. Again, seems like a cool project, but like people die on our streets every year. Are they going to die waiting to be housed in these cool, sexy, tiny homes? And in the meantime, we're just going to point everyone in the direction of that project and tell them to keep looking at that project while we wait for it to come to fruition. I don't feel good about that. Yeah. And Allie, I think if we're thinking of the same building on mm-hmm. Second South, former, former police station, it's I think. the former public safety building, mm-hmm. which I'm guessing is also owned by the city. <laughs> is this not something, this building, this, I, I don't know how, how tall it is. It's a big building, okay? Looks like the size of any apartment building that's gone up in this town over the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. Is this not something they could have leased for a dollar a year to right. create more housing for people who need it, more low-income housing? Yeah. I mean, that that former police building is on the east side of downtown. It is very close to services. There is like a soup kitchen right down the street. A lot of the churches are around there, which we know to be service providers in our city. Um, And again, like I'm I am not saying that is the solution. What I'm saying is it's really hard for me to reconcile walking past that building for five years while being told that I should be focused on this tiny home village idea that looks very cool and seems very cool, but isn't doesn't exist yet. May I direct us, Emily Means, to something that is um, very real and has already happened, which is the Jazz won. <laughs> what? They won their season opener. <gasps> there was chemistry. There was energy. Nio Campbell was in thigh-high silver boots. Oh, hell yeah, Nio. It all happened. <laughs> it all happened Wednesday night in Salt Lake City. Wow. Oh, my God, Allie. Let me let me tell you. I think this is going to be... This is going to be the year for us. This but... is our year. <laughs> <laughs> so the Jazz freaking crushed it Wednesday against the Denver Nuggets. 123 to 102. That is yeah. huge, especially yeah. for the jazz. The, ja- <laughs> the jazz has a tendency um, historically to uh, to blow their leads, right? Especially in the second half. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just really excited. But Allie, let me let me put this idea in front of you. Um, okay. I am not full disclaimer. I'm not a sports reporter. However, I did uh, I did ask Salt Lake Tribune jazz reporter Andy Larson friend of the show about this theory and he confirmed it to be true so the way I understand it the Jazz were not supposed to win any games this season and that was the strategy so they essentially have a brand new team lots of young guys on the team um, a brand new coach so Mm -hmm. and that was by design because they were banking on losing so many games that they qualified for the first round draft pick. Yep. And the likely first round draft pick next year is this 18-year-old French giant. Giant. Victor Wembanyama, who is incredible. Like, people are talking about him as if he's like LeBron plus 
Kevin Durant plus Rudy Gobert, and all, he's like eight feet tall or something. Seven and the foot Jazz, three. Okay, you know, we round up on this show. <laughs> and the Jazz want him, but yeah. the Jazz killed it in their season opener. So I, I don't know. New strategy around the corner, maybe. Is that theory out the window? Because I believe that theory as well. And I also just want to say there was a contingent of the city that was like, this year is going to be our year. We are getting cheap jazz tickets. We're going to buy resale tickets in the lower bowl when all the season ticket owners that have been poo-pooing this team basically ever since the rebrand came out. It's been a lot of negative talk. No one likes the yellow. No one likes the yellow. We're going to sit in their seats. We're going to have a great time. And, uh, you know, I will say happy to see the Jazz win. Going to start making some new plans for the season because (laughs) we'll we'll see what beer bar everyone, I guess, is what what we're trying to say. That's what we're saying. (laughs) Did you see someone tweeted? I thought this was pretty funny. Someone tweeted, bring back Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell so we can blow this lead. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I don't know what it is. Like, I'm not a super fan or anything. I did grow up here in Utah, but my family's from Chicago, so we were Bulls fans, Mm -hmm. which is sacrilegious here in this state. But I don't know. I'm feeling a real... Michael Jordan did push off, but okay. (laughs) I'm feeling a real real warm and fuzzy feeling about Mm -hmm. the jazz lately. And so all you haters, come at me, bro. <laughs> because yeah. this is our year and I am buying the swag. Okay. Yeah. I'm buying the and, swag. And to everyone who was like being all sad boy about Quinn Snyder leaving, hope you're over it. Will Hardy is the hottie of the week. <laughs> hottie of the week. Will Hardy, coach Will Hardy. He's tall. He is young. He's married with kids. <laughs> He's Salt Lake's least eligible bachelor. And we all love him already. Welcome, Will Hardy. We knew you'd crush it. Thanks for please being don't, here. Please don't make us regret saying this next week Thanks. on the show. <laughs> Thanks for being here, coach. Thanks for being here. All right, Allie. What are you doing this weekend? Well, you know what I'm doing this weekend. Ivana and I have an obsession with this uh, DJ who does pop-up Latino dance parties at Exchange Place on the weekends. He took a hiatus because there were some threats of violence. He's back. DJ Oscar, who has recently rebranded as DJ Osk. Um, his very last dance party because of the weather <gasps> wow. changing is going to be Saturday night. And he asked that we all wear costumes. And I say, aye, aye. See you there. Wow. What are you going to dress up as? I don't know. I might just as DJ Osk. Do it. As, <laughs> as I've heard, snapback. all you need is a snapback and an oversized T-shirt. And maybe some sunglasses if you're Maybe some it. sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> some ripped jeans. Easy. What about you? What are you up to this weekend, Emily? All right. So I'm still on the jazz train. And mm-hmm. uh, today I'll be at Beer Bar, I guess, watching the jazz play Rudy Gobert and the Timberwolves. I might shed a tear. I don't know. That's just yeah. like too much sentimentality in one in one broadcast for me, I think. Don't make fools of us. Are you listening, Will? Are you listening, Coach Hardy? <laughs> Rudy Gobert is looking good on the Timberwolves. I hope he's happy. Yeah, he scored like 23 points in his season opener. Yeah, it's I mean, I, crazy. I, I wish him the best. Can I just do a quick plug? So Allie and I, we love the jazz, but... As we said, we're not jazz reporters. <laughs> there are yeah. so many good jazz beat reporters here in this town. Uh, mm-hmm. Go follow them. We're talking 
Andy Larson and Eric Walden from the Salt Lake Tribune, Sarah Todd from the Deseret News, uh, Tony Jones from The Athletic, and uh, there's even even more sports radio fellas in this mm-hmm. town. So go follow them. I always find their hot takes on Twitter very insightful. Yeah, I agree. Happy Jazz Twitter is a beautiful corner of the world. It's so exciting. This is our time to shine, guys. This is it. Purple, purple forever. All right, Emily. Well, we did it. We ended on a high note. We talked about zoning. Our work here is done. This show had everything. I will see you Monday morning. See you Monday. Bye. Bye. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our lead producer is Emily Means. Our producer is Ivana Martinez. Our newsletter editor is Terina Ria. And our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by the local band Mitochondria. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around this city. Have a great weekend. She's so sage. She's so sage again. (laughs) You're really trying to make that happen. (laughs) She's so fetch. (laughs) She's the fetchest fetch.